Bike Talk, LA on Kill Radio and KPFK. Uh, in the studio, we have four of us today. I'm Molly, um, and with me, I have two cooks from the Bike Kitchen, uh, or actually, only one cook from the Bike Kitchen today, um, Evan. And then we have uh, Bobby from the Eco Village, and Maddie, who is studying urban planning at UCLA. So, if everyone wants to introduce themselves, say hello. Good morning. I'm Evan. I'm a cook at the Bike Kitchen, and um, I really don't know too much about this urban planning stuff we're going to be talking about today, but hopefully some of my cycling insights can come into play. Hi, I'm Maddie. I'm an yeah, urban planning student at UCLA focusing on transportation and bike and ped um, planning, so hopefully I can try to answer some questions and we can talk about the process and what LA can look like. Hi, I'm Bobby. Uh, yeah, I, I do indeed live down the street at the Eco Village, two blocks from here. And uh, I'm a hanger-on at the Bike Kitchen and a uh, amateur urban planner also. <laughs> so today we were thinking about talking a little bit about kind of what the realistic future for L.A. and kind of cycling and pedestrian um, accessibility will look like. Um, and we asked Maddie to come in and sort of give us a, I guess, an introduction, um, and then we're going to ask questions. If you guys have questions, if people are, in fact, listening live, our phone number is 213-252-0998, and you're welcome to call in and ask questions, or, or if you know more than we do, you can tell us <laughs> anything you want. Um, so with that, Maddie, do you want to start talking, or should we talk a little bit about how lovely of a day it is and how we we're biking here or anything like that. I, mean, I, I, I can start talking. I mean, so there's there's a great, you know, variation, a wide range of different infrastructure and culture in different cities, I think, in terms of the bike and pedestrian infrastructure. And so a lot of times when you think about that, there's more of, you know, there's all this planning that's coming up and, and you're seeing these kind of innovations in different cities I think planners and, and advocates and everyone like to like look at these great cities and say, oh, you know, what is Copenhagen doing? What is Amsterdam doing? What's New York City doing? What's Portland look like? And the question is, well, how can we take those, you know, those things and bring them to our city? And I think the question we want to talk about today is that, you know, is it, you know, since it's, is it realistic that, you know, we could have, you know, a Copenhagen-like or a New York City-like bike, you know, system in Los Angeles? And really, I mean, not to be total downer but not i mean the current climate um in los angeles bicycle planning the answer seems to be no but that doesn't necessarily mean that we can't do anything and the question that i have is how can we kind of take these little innovations the different places are doing and start to bring them to los angeles and what are some of the obstacles and challenges to doing that I think we started to hear a lot about that on Thursday night. There was um, the Department of City Planning hosted a webinar um, to talk about the 2010 LA uh, bike plan draft, and it was it was an interesting format. A lot of it was a little different than normal. Normally, you'd have you know one place probably you know at Metro or or downtown city planning, and would have to come in. So this was a little different um, in terms of format that. You just logged, you registered on their website, and then, like, you had, this was, like, a go-to meeting kind of came up, and then um, two people from city planning and Michelle Mowry from DOT 
did a presentation. The first one was just generally about the bike plan and the different components of it in terms of policy, evaluation, um, education, and then a little bit of the introduction to the plan itself. So that was for the first half hour. And then the second half hour was a question and answer session, which was moderated by city planning. So as a participant, you typed in your question and then they kind of selectively picked what questions would be given to the audience. Um, it was, I think it was interesting. I personally liked the format because you got to do it from your house, but I think there were some kind of pros and cons to it, like that they got to selectively pick the questions, which is a lot different. Like typically in a public public meeting, you have a lineup and a microphone. They'd have to answer every question that came forth. So that was the first part. And the second part was about the implementation plan, so the five-year plan. And the basis out of that was that over the next five years, there's a plan to build 200 miles of infrastructure ranging from bike routes, bike lanes, and bike paths. Can you give us a sense of, like, is that is 200 miles, is that, that doesn't sound like a lot to me over five years. Is that a small amount or is that a large amount? I mean, it's, no, it, it's a small amount. Okay. And then it's what it is. So what it breaks down to is about 40 miles per year. Because I feel like that's nothing. Yeah, no, it, it's not, it's not a lot. And on the front of the bike plan itself, it advertises 1,600 miles. It's like, okay, so they're advertising 1,600 miles, and then they're saying we're getting 200 over the next five years. But you know, unfortunately, you know, good and bad that it is, a, it is a kind of a drop in the bucket. But the reality is, you have to start somewhere. I think. So. Even though it's a small amount, at least it's a plan, and there's a structure to it. Now, a lot of the complaints that are in the past with the bike plan, there's really been no teeth to it. The fact that there's no enforcement of saying, like, okay, we plan to do this. And I think that's still one of the complaints that's coming out of this. Kind of one of their, their jargon or lingo says, okay, we'll put 40 miles in the queue each year. And it'll kind of depend on what's getting resurfaced or what there's funding for. So it was still, and then it kind of left it up to DOT and the advocacy community, I mean, really the advocacy community, to be the policing and say, okay, you plan to do this. Uh, do we have any idea how many miles of road LA works on for cars? Oh, uh, I, I, I wish I, I had that number in a is presentation. It, is it? Oh, like, it's hundreds of thousands. I mean, the, the mile, the mile, maybe it's 3,000 miles. Actually, okay. that's maybe, there's maybe 3,000 miles of okay. roadway in Los Angeles. <laughs> yeah, I think the joke's always that the uh, the DOT is the biggest real estate developer in Los Angeles. Yeah, no, it's, I mean they really There's they so own a, they own square. a lot of property, yeah. you know, and and so they have control over over this, and so you know that was a lot of a lot of the debate on Thursday was you know looking at these great cities like looking you know looking at New York, you know how can we start to bring these plans? And I think some of the comments from Michelle Mowry included, well, they have political will there. You know, they have a mayor who's on board with this. We have a mayor who just got hit by a Yeah, so, car. I mean, yeah, the question is, that's, that was the question. It's like, well, is, is this is the mayor's accident from Saturday night going to have any impact on bicycle infrastructure <clears throat> gaining this political will? I don't know. I just, I think it might. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I just, I've, I've read a lot of, a lot about it, but it just, you know, it's like. It's always the. It was like the mayor was in a bike accident, not a car hit the mayor. 
on his bike. Yeah, and, and the fact there was no enforcement, like they're like the guy didn't get a ticket or anything, you know. And I think there was a little overage. Like, oh, is he well, at least at least they treat everyone the same. <laughs> <laughs> so when anyone hits a cyclist, they're not going to get a ticket, even if you hit the mayor. Yeah, I mean, but what what a, what a missed opportunity to make an example, at least, you know, like you don't the guy didn't need to be arrested, but give a ticket, like he didn't look as to see what was coming. He totally cut someone off. You know, there's it. it I wish that it would have gone a little further in in that, and and it could have helped maybe build this this political will. And the other thing that the Michelle was kind of using as as a block to say that why we can't do things in other places is that we have CEQA, which is the uh, it was a wonderful acronym California Environmental Quality Act. So it's like a legal proceeding that any time that you're going to plan something that's going to have an effect directly or indirectly on the environment, there's a long legal process of documentation that you have to go through. So the problem, I mean, the, she's saying that with road diets that you would have to actually do a CEQA, you'd have to do all this documentation because it would take cars off that road, like say if you wanted to do it somewhere, it would, you know, and they go someplace else, there might be more congestion someplace else, so that would be maybe an indirect effect on the environment. But... It seems like a little far-reaching. I mean, I'm not, I'm not at all an expert um, on CEQA, but you know, maybe that's another thing. And to so think about how to get rid of some of these barriers is to look at CEQA and say, hey, you know, we know that in other cities like Portland, that when you have more infrastructure, you end up having more cyclists, and then when you have more cyclists, it's safer for everyone just because it's more people on the road. So, you know, while that there might be more cars in another place, maybe that there can kind of be an opt-out or we can amend CEQA to say, since there's going to be more cyclists overall, there's going to be less drivers. So why would, you know, putting a road diet in, you know, trigger all this huge paperwork? So that's kind of the general. And, I mean, there was a lot of other complaints, I think, and frustrations that came out. Um, there was one actually very funny moment. At the end of the first webinar, there was a mic fail. So they didn't realize the mics were on at the last minute. And I guess the moderator goes, oh, sorry about that GIS question, <laughs> is what everyone heard, which is pretty funny because I think that they had all these maps. And everyone's like, well, where's the list? Where's the list of projects? It's not in this plan at all. And so they said, well, we have these GIS, which are like they're mapping files. And, you know, it's a really big file, so we, can't, we didn't have time to generate a list. But then I don't know if that's what she was apologizing for is that the question is like, will these become publicly available? And they actually said that if you emailed this member of, of city planning, that you could get access to the files. I did this immediately. I have not seen anything yet. Um, so, you know, to try to think about accountability there. You know, so it was, you know, the bike plan is a step and it has a schedule, but I guess we need to just, the public needs to stay really involved in terms of what improvements we'd still like to see. And if you were in charge, what improvements? I mean, to me, to me as like a as a cyclist, the things that I'm most interested in seeing um, are, first of all, like probably, and this probably is is the same as as drivers. Is I like like potholes and stuff to be fixed. I mean, especially on streets that are darker at night, like the the roads can be really bad, which I think is a complaint that anyone who buses, bikes, or drives would feel but I also just it would be nice if I mean I think that it just education needs to happen I don't necessarily think that like the roads need to change or sheriffs need to be put everywhere I just think that drivers need to understand like all people need to understand that like I have a right to the lane 
And when I'm in the lane, you don't need to honk at me if you're behind me. I know you're there. Like, you, you're, you, the honking is just to, like, let m me know that you know that I'm there. And it's not, it's, I mean, I'm, I'm allowed to be on the road. And so when I just, I think that, like, to me, that's the, the biggest thing that I would think would be helpful. And I think I, I would notice if, like, people but, stop But don't doing you think that the bike lanes and sharrows are kind of a constant visual reminder to drivers? <coughs> that yeah, that's true. Except I still don't think it necessarily, like, if there's, a, if there's a bike lane, for example, and I'm passing someone who's in the bike lane going a little slower than I am, and I take the lane... I get honked at, and it's just, I, I, I mean, I always point to the person that I'm passing, you know, and just say, like, I'm, I'm, I'm just, just let me pass, I'll get out of your way, but it's just one of those things that I think a lot of drivers work under the assumption that I'm on my bike to annoy them, when really I'm on my bike to get somewhere, or to, like, cruise. Yeah. <laughs> For the same reason they're in the car. <laughs> right. So, uh, yeah, and that's definitely one of the things that have made the European cities so so bicycle friendly. That there's education from the beginning is that children are getting like you know proper bike education. So even if they don't choose, you know, as they grow up, even if they don't choose to bike, they choose to drive. They know they know how to be a safe cyclist, and they know that cyclists are going to exist on the roads. You know, and so that's and, and I think they mentioned that, but. In my opinion, yeah, that was definitely lacking in the bike plan is really this education. And, and you know, like there's not – and how to kind of get this education into people. So whether it's, um, you know, I think I recently had to take a California driving test, the written test, and there was, there was a little bit about cyclists, but not really. So, like, there's times where you could really get people, like – when they have, there's so many people that have to go to traffic school. If right. there was a bicycle education component of traffic school, I think that'd be a really good place. But trying to figure out these little places that we can start to get educational components, um, and another. So it's it's both. Yeah, it's for drivers and it's for cyclists. There's a lot of people that are novice cycler cyclists and people that are you know less that are less apt to start riding in the streets, especially women, especially people that are younger. And that was also brought up on Thursday is that there's no real trying to target them and say like, you know, you can do this safely. Um, here's how to do it properly. You know, here's how you avoid accidents, all this type of thing. I had no idea that there was, that the kind of the split between men and gender split was so big. Oh, it's huge. Um, yeah. Until I did, I helped out with LACBC's bike count, um, it was basically counting the people who took their train or took their bikes on the the metro lines, and um, I did a couple of them. But I think the I think I only inter interviewed one woman all through. Like I think I did it four times. All four times I only interviewed one woman, and the only reason she was on a bike was because she had a DUI. <laughs> um, whereas there was like a ton. I mean, I I don't know. Probably I did like maybe 120 interviews total, and one of those was female. And I just, I mean, in our little, like, world of, of biking at the bike kitchen and, and kind of in that area, it's still not 50-50, but there's more women, I mm -hmm. think, represented. And, I, I mean, is there something that's, is, is that, like, lower percentage of female cyclists tied to safety? I mean, I think so. I okay. mean, there, there's, a, there's a question about, like, if you try to think of yourself as a novice rider and, you know, what type of mindset you'd be in as you would start, you know, as like, okay, you know, I only work five miles away or, you know, I work, you know, or I'm just errands or something like that. Just trying to get into using your bicycle as a form of transportation and not just recreation. 
you know, I don't think that, that novice cyclists, especially women, are comfortable just taking the lane or being on a street without, without a bike lane, without some type of infrastructure. So I think that installing new infrastructure is really going to start to, like, help people that are novices get on the street. And a lot of those people that are new riders are, are women. So it could, you know, it could really bring, and as, yeah, as we've seen in other cities, the more infrastructure, the more people. And I think you start to close that gender gap, especially, you know, but it could also be education. Like, um, there's a, there's a couple different safe cycling courses that the League of American um, Bicyclists, um, that they do actually, there's one that was just in Hollywood, uh, West Hollywood, excuse me. And like all the, all the people in the class that I, I took were all women. So I think they're the people that are also interested in getting the educational components, but there's just not enough resources out there for them. I, that's interesting, because I think I've noticed that too. Um, I teach a lot of like basic mechanic classes at the bike kitchen where you can, you can come in during normal hours and we'll show you how to fix your bike, and it's usually kind of a zoo in there. There's a ton of, there's a ton of, uh, there's a ton of uh, just people getting their bikes fixed. But on the weekends we do classes, it's a little more structured, it's a little easier. And I have noticed that they, they trend, they're typically female. So I think there is this interest out there that is not always met when you look into the streets. Maybe women are more likely to, you know, accept help in learning how to do something <laughs> and seek it out than, uh, you know, me, where I might just be, like, trying to do it myself. But um, I was just going to say about the education thing. Uh, speaking of Portland, uh, I was there two summers ago, and I got a... I got a ticket for, like, running a stop sign on my bike. And, um, you know, it was, like, you know, $300 or something ridiculous. But they, the officer said I could take this class. And said I was like, okay, I'll take the class. And it was, I think it was called, like, share the road safety class or something. And it was, like, this big room of people. But it was, like, you know, drivers and cyclists who had gotten tickets in the same room. And they had a bunch of different, like, presentations and, like, classes about, you know, safe bicycling techniques and safe driving like, I thought it was really cool how they brought it together in one one space. And they had a lot of really entertaining videos from, like, the police cruiser, you know, of, like, people, like, doing ridiculous things and almost getting killed. And uh, it was pretty funny. Yeah. Actually, one thing I've always wanted to do at the kitchen or at some space in town is to is to set up something. I don't know how this would be done, but if you do get ticketed in your car for doing something stupid around a bike, that there should be a class that you have to go to and... One of us in this room should teach that class <laughs> to really hammer home a lot of these a lot of these points we've been making, and I don't know how that could actually become a reality. But but if you if you think of how many incidents there are between cars and bikes, and a lot of times there's like a what a ninety day suspended sentence type thing, and there's not even like a you have to go to a class that teaches you how to how to drive your car around bikes properly. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, it would be interesting to do something like that because I, I really do think that it's it's primarily, like, a, just a big miscommunication. I don't think that, like, drivers are out to get me. Just, like, you know, I don't think most drivers think that I'm on my bike to annoy them. But, I mean, I was I was riding uh, yesterday, um, I want to say on 8th, towards the, towards the ocean, and... And this woman just was, like, behind me honking at me, you know? And it was, like, a, an empty street. Like, she could pass me. I'm not – I don't want to get I, – I'm, I'm a very 
I'm my my biggest fear as a cyclist is getting doored or when someone opens their door and, and you run into it. So I'm not going to get any closer to the parked cars. I'm just going to stay right here. And I just, you know, stayed put. And then she just kept honking at me. And she didn't, she wouldn't pass me. I don't know if passing me would have been that useful because there's a lot of stop signs. So we both stop and then we, you know, like even if they like speed up, I'm still going to catch up to them by the next stop sign. But I just would like, you know, I, I would like to have... Uh, the patience to just like look over to her and say like you can pass me and I'm not doing this to piss you off you know yeah but people are just jerks though that's the problem I <laughs> mean even in Portland like I've had people you know honk at me and like tell me to get off the road and stuff like that and like like it's really not that much better in other cities. I mean, ah, <laughs> wait a second. Has everyone been lying to us about how lovely Portland is? There's jerks there too. Okay, it's <laughs> good to know. It doesn't matter, you know. I mean, just I think you know, like, like uh, Joseph Briali always says, it just comes down to the road design. If you have these roads designed for cars to move really fast, people are just going to get angry that they can't go as fast as the road looks like they could be able to go you know like because in amsterdam like all the roads are really really tiny like you obviously can't go fast and so people can't really get pissed about it if they're going slow because that's what they expect to do but that's interesting i hadn't thought about it all like the roads that. here are so freaking wide it's, it just looks like you can go you know 50 miles an hour everywhere everywhere but at the same time like that's one i think that's one of the things that i like about cycling in los angeles versus new york is that there's space there, there's there's space for your bike that not everyone's trying to cram width-wise so much that you're getting pushed off the road into sidewalks and to parking spaces and things like that. So, I don't know. I guess with that disadvantage of the road design, you can kind of find ways to make things work for you a little better. Yeah, the roads are really wide. There's, I mean, there's once it would be nice if we could like figure out, like get a map of all the super wide roads that are also like nicely paved, because. That's just, it's just a matter of, like, avoiding the roads with, like, really, really shitty potholes and, you know, six lanes versus, like, the really wide four-lane roads. What, what is the nicely paved road <laughs> in Los Angeles? Where is uh, that one? <laughs> uh, there, there's, there's, like, three. Um, I was on some of them yesterday. Let's see. I'm trying to remember what route I took. I rode from this side of town to the beach. And some of it was really, really pleasant. Um, Benton is not bad. And then, like, from Benton, if you get on to, like, a lot of it on, like, this further side. But, like, uh, I think it was 8th all the way through Beverly Hills is, can be, is really pleasant. Interesting. Yeah. Um, and just this is, this is off topic, but this is kind of um, something that I've recently started doing, um, which is helping me discover these paved roads that are really wide and don't have potholes is... When I'm not in a hurry and I'm not trying to get somewhere really fast, um, another cook at the kitchen, uh, Jim Bledsoe, would always tell me that the best way to ride is to ride on streets whose names you do not know. And that has sort of been, like, my new method of getting around L.A., especially when I'm not in a hurry, when I have, like, some time to sort of leisurely go around. Like, that's how I've been discovering my new favorite routes. Um, and as soon as I'm on a road you know, that I know, like, if you've heard of Pico, you shouldn't be riding on Pico, or if you've heard of Fairfax, you should stay away from Fairfax, and, um, that's really helped me, like, get around, and it turns out that when you're not on those big, big roads, 
that are, you know, six lanes or seven lanes or whatever, they're also kind of paved better um, for whatever reason. Well, it's like, that'd be, I mean, they might be paved better. It's just that there's probably less car. Have you noticed that there's less cars on them? Yeah, except for the woman who was honking at yeah. me. <laughs> Unfortunately, but for her, I mean, so they're probably more residential type roads. You're yeah. getting less traffic. You're getting a lot of the other things that, like, a lot of the buses are, I mean, as great as they are, you know, the he- the weight of the buses and the weight of trucks just really deteriorate road and, like, make the actual pavement last a lot, like, not last as long. Mm-hmm. So when you're on, like, the unknown roads, so probably people in their cars are less or they're just more so for people in, in you know, residential areas. That's where, you know, I think they're just less deteriorated over time. Like, I know when we go, there's a group of us that ride from Westwood to critical mass we take Char- uh, charleville oh yeah i love charleville that's yeah that's, a, what's that's up. a good yeah that's a, just gonna run right parallel to wilshire most of the time yeah if anyone ever needs to go east west through beverly hills charleville is is really really good one yeah um yeah that's that's one of those ones that i discovered um i was gonna ask another question oh yeah so what what does what do urban planners how do they feel about um, something that, that they tried in Seattle, I don't know if they're still doing it, but they were, they had a couple roads downtown, maybe just one, I think it was third, um, was for bikes and buses only. Mm-hmm. Is that something, to me that makes a lot of sense, um, especially in a place like Los Angeles, where if you could just like, even if it wasn't like all the time, but if you could make some roads like during rush hour for buses and bikes only, is that something that's realistic or no. is that, would that be pushed no, it, it is realistic, and there's thought. a plan for it um, on Wilshire. Oh, really? Yeah, so the, to make a make a bus, a peak hour bus, bus bike only lane. And oh, just a lane though. Yeah, I'm talking like a road. Oh, a whole road. Ooh, I, yeah. I mean, I, that's Not like so. Happen. Even okay, so here's even the thing was just like making Wilshire being the bus bike only lane. I mean, it, it, the problem is that people have this perception. Like, I mean. I know, like, on the west side, where there's so much traffic anyway. So anything that you're going to do, oh, it's going to make traffic worse. It's like, you, you know, there is just tons of traffic right now. Accept it. And, like, as as kind of alternative transportation planners, like, you know, I, <laughs> getting more traffic can actually be a good thing because there's some kind of max point where people are like, you know what? I just can't deal with this anymore. They, and they're forced. They're pretty much forced off the off, out of their single occupancy cars, and they're there's a point where things get so bad, where people finally change their behavior, you know. So, but like right now, when you know, when you go to the public meetings, and you have all the people, you know, from from the West Side or other places that just think that this bus. It's like, oh, what's it gonna do to traffic? It's like, you know, at the peak hour on Wilshire, you, you're crawling anyways. You know, like there's so those seven twenties are so packed. And there's and they're running on such short headways. I mean, they're running like three minutes behind each other, and they're filled. So it's like, well, there's all those people. They're much more efficient because they're having so many people in one vehicle. Let's give them an advantage, you know. And maybe, and you know, and ideally, maybe this bus bike only lane um, would help people encourage that. Like, okay, that's actually they're getting an advantage for being on the bus, so I can do that. And they're really nice. I mean. Like, there's other cities where their buses are not nearly just as nice. So I think, you know, not to say, like, I, I want tons and tons of traffic in terms of, like, you know, the air quality effects of people stopping and going all the time. But if, if it can get to a point where people start to change their behavior, you know, like, what was it last summer where, like, the gas prices got so high that you had the first time in, like, 50 years where vehicle miles traveled actually went down. So there was, like, a breaking point for people. They're like, you know what? I just can't deal with this. So, that, you know, they carpooled, they took the bus, they bike, whatever. 
they, they, the behavior finally changed. Now, then, when the gas, it was sustained because it was just dependent on gas prices. So, you know, if, you know, maybe to think about, think about is like, can we use the traffic of LA to our advantage? Can we use it to start, stop getting so many people to drive by themselves? Aside from gas prices, is there anything? I well, mean, what's the what is the what is the breaking point for traffic? I don't know. I mean, is there a formula for that? Probably. <laughs> you need to talk to an engineer about that yeah, one. Yeah, I um, do. <laughs> you know, I, I don't think so. And and it's because my understanding is even even like you were saying with the gas thing, it's it would it would be a like a temporary breaking point, but it's not going to sustain. So you could see if gas prices get high enough, you could see like a temporary reduction in in driving, but eventually people will kind of adjust for that. Well, eventually, but the, the I mean, gas, gas prices go, go down. Yeah. yeah. So it's not like, and we just don't, in the United States, we have no, it's like touching the gas tax or actually like, and that's the other thing is like these European cities where you have so much biking and, and transit use and so much infrastructure, their gas prices gas are huge. Gas is really, yeah, gas and is really And it's because it's not like, it's not like they're buying from a more expensive, you know, refinery. It's that the government has such a huge tax on it. And is know, that realistic, a realistic no, thing to change in the no, States or no, it's not no, going to happen? Not. Unfortunately, yeah, for whatever reason, I mean, well, I, I could probably take a guess at the <laughs> types of reasons, but it's like the gas tax is untouchable for, from the federal level, which is frustrating. So, you know, I, I think that there are certain things that you, know, you can encourage, you know, I always like to be in kind of the positive, like, oh, I can encourage people. I can be a bike advocate. I can say trans is awesome. But unless that there's a direct connection, like, that is just taking so much longer, you know, to get places, or it's so expensive that there's a point. People aren't going to change their behavior over time. All right, so I think we're going to take a little music break. Um, I have this uh, auto-tune song that uh, is about borrowing bicycles, and it's really fantastic. And if you don't like it, I'm sorry, but I think it's great, and. It's from Canada, so I'm going to play that really quick, and we're going to kind of gather and collect our thoughts. Bucks in line. I walked across the street and fell to a knee. I caught my breath and saw the word Pixie. At first it was confusing, but I read the rules in detail. I put my card in and took advantage of the seat sale. So I grabbed my chrome chariot, adjusted my seat. I got 30 minutes to hit St. Urban Street. Quick ride on Rachel. I rode her right up and put my horse in his stable. I ran into a friend. How'd you get here so fast? I thought you were broke. Had no money for gas. I just smiled at her and whispered in her ear. She thought it was amazing and we started to cheer. It's 
was just another day. Drowning my troubles with a griffin when I seen shark pass me by like Bruni Surin. Red and chrome tinted out like it was magic. I loaded up the bix and was said, I got to have it. What? Now it's a hundred miles of running. Traveling got bikes up to Boston and London. Griffin riding straight April till October. So just like KRS One, the bridge is over. I thought it was a trend. It may have been a stint. Now it's 2010. We reduced the carbon footprint. What can I say? It's a true Quebec invention. Now get him to NDG. We're back. So that was uh, Decryptions, and they're from Canada, and they were singing about their bike share program, which they love. And uh, I think that they probably love it as much as they love auto-tune. Um, <laughs> so kind of next, next we sort of have kind of covered, I guess, our idea of what kind of what we're annoyed by and what, what we would like to see. Um, in Los Angeles, but now we're going to kind of move and switch to talking about actually what is going to happen in the next couple of years, uh, according to the bike plan, and I guess whether or not we think it's going to happen, or just like what some of the challenges that we're going to face kind of as cyclists and, and kind of, I mean, because it's not just even about educating drivers, it's about educating the people who are creating these plans, you know? Um, so, Maddie, if you wanted to talk a little bit about, uh, during the break, we were talking a little bit about bike paths and how they are or are not the best use of money and funds. So, yeah, so give us a little introduction. Yeah, so the, uh, in California is actually the only place that has this kind of class one, two, three, which is like the different types that of things they're doing. So, I'm probably going to get it. No, okay, so yeah, like I think class one, there's one class that's bike path which is like your paved path is usually what you'd find um like in a park it's separate it's you know it's great separated it's not conflicting with traffic um uh, it's its own area it's not a lane in the street then the next type is like a bike lane and that's actually in the street it's striped so that there's a clear delineation this is the space for bikes and then the third one is bike routes and that's just where there's kind of a sign Saying bike routes, and I think that's probably kind of where Sharrows would would probably okay. fall. Um, that's another whole thing we can talk about is the installation of the Sharrows in LA. Our <laughs> thoughts on those. Right. Um, but so out of the plan, there there was a lot of ideas for bike paths places, and the thing is, is that they're really expensive to build. I mean, it's probably like an eighteen to one because you know, you're clearing the land, you're putting this in. There's a lot of engineering that goes into it. Um, because it's, it's building its own thing versus a bike lane, which really doesn't, um, it doesn't it's not a very high cost at all because you're just restriping. It's a lot of times 
when they're talking about like the resurfacing list, which I would love to see. Apparently, if there's some list at DOT or something about what roads are getting resurfaced, but regardless of that, um, and it's a really it's a lot cheaper. But I guess the perceived barrier to that is that there's more measurement to see where they would fit um, in terms of. You know, so there's this thing that, like, if you put, are putting in a bike lane, someone else has to lose. And I, I don't agree with that. I think that, you know, that there's a lot of space. So you can maybe, like, our, make our lanes a little, you know, a little less wide, narrow the lanes a little bit, maybe taking out some, taking out parking, which, you know, street parking isn't that effective. And everyone has to build parking lot. You know, there, there, there's a lot of minimum parking that they have to build, so... I don't know if if you're the person to ask about this, but is is parking kind of like we were talking about earlier? How how um, transportation in LA, like the the roads, are kind of like the the most valuable real estate. Is parking heavily subsidized here um, in terms of like street parking, or do you know anything about kind of the way that parking works? I, I've, I've studied it a little bit in Seattle, but I have no idea how it works here. I mean, subsidized. in terms of subsidized, I'm not too familiar with, like, the street parking of it. I mean, and it's not – a part of it is so that the problem is that, like, in L.A., when you pay a parking meter, that money is just going into L.A. general fund, which, you know, is kind of a <laughs> wasteland of funding. Funding, But in other places, you can kind of create these, like, parking benefits or benefit districts. Like in Old Pasadena, that's what they have. So when you pay when you pay for street parking in Old Pasadena, that money actually stays in that community. And it goes for cleaning the sidewalks, for basic improvements. So that's kind of one thing that would be nicer to see. Um, and I think as you're starting to see some more business improvement districts popping up throughout the city, hopefully they'll start to kind of tackle that. You know, but anytime there's, you know, anything gets built or anyone wants to open a business that they have, there's minimum parking requirements. And it's, it's kind of a crazy system that they're for a different use. There's how many parking spaces are allowed, you know, that you're required to have. So, and a lot of times it's by square feet or it's, it really depends on the purpose. It's, it's actually this kind of bizarre thing. So. You know, other places, I think, like, Portland is, is starting to do, like, a maximum parking requirement because the minimum parking requirement really encourages or forces people so much to build, like, huge parking lots um, and really take up a lot of our land. So it's not necessarily subsidized. The, the developer actually has to pay for the parking because they're required to build it as part of it. So when you're looking at, like, a, a business or something, uh, you know, a store – you know, their two street parking spots probably are just a drop in the bucket of how much parking they're required to have. So that's why, you know, but but that's another perceived thing. It's like, oh, if you take away the two parking spaces in front of our place, no one will come. It's like, no, you probably are required to have parking somewhere else. I forgot why I asked that question. <laughs> oh, because we're talking about, like, if you could take away parking. Oh, yeah, yeah, parking take out parking get, on yeah. the, the side of the road. Especially just because that's, in in my I don't know if it's actually the most dangerous, but I mean that's what I'm most, that's that's the hardest thing for me to, as an like as a like, aware cyclist. That's the hardest thing for me to kind of like gauge sometimes is is the is those doors, because um, I feel like I'm a, a really safe cyclist, and that's the one thing that I have trouble predicting. I can predict what a lot of like the drivers around me are gonna do, but. You never know if someone's sitting in that car and is going to open the door really suddenly. Yeah, I was just going to say, um, going back one topic to the the bike paths. Um, while I agree that you know, like, 
we shouldn't be focusing on bike paths to the detriment of other things since they are really expensive and all that stuff. I just did want to give a shout out to the the LA River bike path, the s- southern part of one, because I work in Long Beach right now, and so I've been using that to get down there. And like, it really makes it much more feasible to like go a long distance if you have an actually grade separated bike path, because like I can go, you know, I'm just like on my bike for like 45 minutes straight and just pedaling, going 20 miles an hour. And like I get there really fast. And can you can you talk us through your bike route? Like you're starting at the Eco Village, yeah, and then yeah. can you explain like how you what what your route is, just so that we can have a sense of yeah. What's <coughs> I what? actually um, I'm pretty excited about the route that I figured out <coughs> the past couple of months <coughs> because um, I had some other coworkers who lived up here that were doing it, and they were taking like Santa Fe down, which is kind of nightmarish with all the trucks and everything. Um, so the big problem with getting to the the southern bike path is you have to get through Vernon which is, like, you know, a really scary, exclusively industrial city. Um, so I found, like, the street called... So the the bike path stops, like, right at the edge of Vernon and Maywood. And there's actually this, side, this like, kind of side street called Fruitland that goes west from there. So I take that all the way over to Long Beach Avenue, where the blue line is, and go up that. And um, it's uh, it's a lot nicer than taking those big major streets. And then I just kind of wiggle through downtown, uh, just picking, again, the streets that don't have potholes, because a lot of them do in that kind of industrial southeast part of downtown. Uh, then I usually just come out of downtown on 7th and then just go up to the Eco Village on, like, uh, Hoover. Uh, so it's a lot of a lot of turns. I actually, I, I mapped it out. I can send it to you. <laughs> well, because I was saying, like, just knowing routes like that is another, like, really, really good thing to get people on the on on bikes um like knowing where where the good roads are i mean just we were we were sort of joking um i don't think it was a joke actually uh uh wolfpack a couple weeks ago we were talking about how it would be really cool to create a like an overlay of um los angeles of all the roads that we generally take on that route so that we can sort of pass it along so like people know like these are the roads that we've sort of like gone on, you know, I think, you know, for some of these guys years and they're the good roads to go and everyone's happy with it. And, uh, just so people know that like where to start, cause it can be kind of overwhelming. I mean, I actually really like, um, the Metro has a really cool, I think a really cool bike route map that sort of lists in the, the sections that Maddie was talking about. You know which are paths, which are uh, lanes, and which are, are routes that I found very helpful my first year that I was in LA, kind of like helping me plan how to get around. Um, and if anyone is interested in those, um, definitely check them out. I think we have a box full of them at the bike kitchen, but I, I'm sure you can also get them through Metro. Yeah. What so you- how did you? So. I mean, I've never actually, I have a lot of the maps, but I've, I've hardly really look at them. I kind of just rely on other people or figuring it out myself. What do you think about the road quality um, in the places that they had listed on the in the Metro bike map? Well, I mean, it, it doesn't say much for the road quality. It's more of a, it's more of a just you're going to, you can mentally prepare that the route that you're taking is going to be a bike route or a bike lane. Mm-hmm. Um and again, you look at the map, and it's it, it's it, it incre- like incredibly clear that like none of the bike routes are connected to one another. 
So what gets tricky is connecting, you know, so if you're trying to commute from Echo Park to UCLA, you can look at the map and you can see that there's huge gaps um, that you're going to have to kind of fill by deciding which, which way is the best way to go. Um, but it's just, I mean, it's just helpful to see. And I mean, I don't even always go on the roads that are bike routes or bike lanes. Sometimes I find other roads to be much more convenient and nice to ride on, but it's just one of those things, I guess, that I really liked it as like a starting point mm -hmm. to sort of see what's what. What do you guys think of, uh, now that Google has cycling directions on maps? I get I, so annoyed. I, kinda, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm glad that it's there yeah. because people can get customized directions, especially for a bike, and it does factor in a lot of streets that have and bike hills. lanes or bike paths. It doesn't in well, it tries to factor, factor in, in hills. hills. I respect yeah, it's that. Only, yeah, I've, I've had minimal success. But I think it's, it can be incredibly daunting to someone who puts in something and Google gives them 50 turns right. for an yeah. eight-mile route. Yeah. And Google just doesn't know when to stop giving you turns. Like... <laughs> What, I, what are you gonna do? Just make a yeah, a like a three-page checklist of every turn you have to take. I think one of the biggest challenges with the Google Bike thing is that you can't. When you're when you're getting directions in a car, you can choose like freeways or no freeways. I think that there should be a checkbox in the Google Bike choice, like options, that you want bike paths. You want the the you want to go on a bike path, or you don't want to go on a bike path, because. The, the biggest challenge for, for me using the Google thing is that if, if you want to take yourself off of the bike path, like you're trying to change the route that it's suggested to you, it's really difficult because it, it keeps wanting to put you back on the bike path. So you have to like pull, your, you have to pull the route off like three or four times before it says like, okay, the route that you're des designing now, there's no way that you could go on um, this particular bike path. Be because of where I live, it always wants to put me on the L.A. River bike path, even when I'm going w to the ocean, you know. It's <laughs> like, it, in no way is that a convenient route for me, even though, according to Google Maps, it's the safest route for me to go on. Um, but I, th So I think, like, some sort of option system would be really helpful. Mm -hmm. um, what I do like is that, I mean, I do like... That, that they have the option though, especially so that I can I can better gauge how long it will take me to get somewhere. So when I finally can manage to like make the route exactly the way I want it to, it'll say that it's oh that's going to take you 15 minutes or something. That's really nice because yeah. I I'm not very good at gauging that. I also like to race that myself. Like oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> how many how many minutes can I beat this Toast. route? <laughs> <laughs> That actually, that is also one of my favorite things. Oh yeah, Google, you say that's going to take me 15 minutes. I can make it an eight. Um, but it does factor in things like hills. So when you say, when I'm going downtown from from my house, it says you know it'll take, I don't know, like 18 minutes. But coming home, it's going to take 21. So like that's really nice for me to know that like oh well, that's why I'm always going a little slower on the way home because it's uphill. Um, I don't know. Have have you guys all used the biking to plan stuff or just to look around? Yeah, I mean, I think it's useful just as like a starting point if you're going somewhere you've never been before, just to do the Google bike thing. And yeah, like something, it gives you way too many turns and like it's impossible to like write those all down. So it's just like okay, maybe that's a good street. I'll try that one kind of thing more than just yeah, and gives you a rough time. And 
uh, you know, ma mainly just gives you directions that don't take you on the freeway, I think is the most useful <laughs> thing about it. I mean, I had been using the walking directions before that, and that was also useful. Yeah, I just sometimes I just get fed up and I switch to the walk. Yeah, 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 Cause this is, it's a, because the algorithm's a lot simpler. It's mm -hmm. just like what street goes most directly there. It doesn't try and put you on yeah. the, the bike streets, which might necessarily be that great anyways. Yeah. But uh, Eric Newton actually has a um, GPS thing on his bike that he can upload maps to. So he can make a map that has, you know, 50 turns. And he has his GPS on his oh. bike that says, like, left turn in 50 feet, you know. just I mean, it's the exact same thing as a car. Is the GPS in the car, except it's, you know, on your handlebars. I have a GPS in my car. I should uh, I should pull it out for Yeah, for you should stick rides. it on your bike, yeah. I mean, it's kind of bulky. <laughs> uh, it would just contribute to, like, the fact that I look like a dork on my bike anyways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess it wouldn't hurt anything. Yeah. I need to figure out how to keep it powered, so I'd need to probably I just think it'd be really funny car. to hear that voice telling you what to do. <laughs> and then, like, if you make a different turn to do the, like, recalculating route thing, you know. I think it'd be really good. But uh, I actually got to run, guys. Um, All right, thanks for coming in, Bobby. <laughs> bees, right? Yeah, I got to tend to some bees. <laughs> All right, cool. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'd be curious to kind of see how the Metro, how the Metro map and the Google map compare. And what is nice is that I've tried to encourage people, actually my friends like other cities to do, is that to re realize Google Bike Maps is in beta mode. And they, I think they really genuinely want your comments. I don't know how much yeah. they use them, but if you have you know, concerns, like that's the good thing about being in beta. Honestly, I think we might have more success with Google product managers than like LA city <laughs> officials. <laughs> because Google product managers actually seem really excited to make cool stuff that helps people. It's <laughs> my experience. I think that's true. But a lot of this discussion, too, has been realized that we, we always talk about cycling in, in streets so much, but when you're actually out riding in your own neighborhoods and in your own city, a lot of what you're doing isn't so isn't so intertwined with streets and, and these routes you'd find from a map that much. Because just thinking about Los Angeles, there are so many staircases that, while it may suck to carry your bike up and down stairs, it's a lot faster than actually riding through these hills or things like that. I know. I cut Plus, through. you feel like a badass. You do feel like a badass. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. Um, on my commute, there's this little bit off of, um, I think it's Crystal, the road that goes through Griffith Park, that I kind of cut off, and it's like a little dirt path that takes me through a neighborhood, and that saves me a lot of time. And I guess this is all stuff that will never really be captured <laughs> by any of these mapping things. But it's like a real key part of the cycling experience. You mean as in just it won't be captured because it's going up a set of stairs or just because it's not something that people would... Well, I guess just because we're st when, we, when we think of, of mapping something like this, mm -hmm. it's still so street dependent. Okay. And the way you're going is like on a path? Well, it's it's just that since, since a... You can, you, you can take bikes on things that aren't streets. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that and, is true. And, and we do. We, uh, yeah. A lot of us do every day in our rides. So. Yeah, so, yeah, dear Google Maps, <laughs> please incorporate things that are not streets into your infrastructure. I mean, but maybe it's kind of as, as an educational thing. You're yeah. trying to think about, you know, it's like, you know, kind of a hidden... You know, like the hidden tips and tricks of whatever of Griffith Park right. by, by bike or whatever it is. I mean, it's how how you actually distribute that information. Mm -hmm. That's kind of, I mean, and someone that actually has the time, you know, to put it all together. But Evan, has that always been? Ha, has your commute stayed pretty? Uh, has it stayed the same, or like are the have you 
have you altered it kind of based on like time or routes, things that you found, streets that you like more than other streets? I I, I try not to time it t- too much. It's it's mainly streets that I like. Okay. And um, I'm my my commute is going from Los Feliz to to Studio City, and I take the take the river path up there, and, and a lot of a lot of what doing and I, and I cut through Griffith Park on the way back. Um, and a lot of doing that is trying to find the ways to not have to cross over the five and the one thirty four <laughs> repeatedly. <laughs> okay. On ramps and off ramps are, are a little frightening, but yeah. Um, I, I guess time to me is, is typically less of an element than comfort. Just yeah. Liking the streets and, and liking all the turns you have to take. Yeah, I'm trying to. I think I think I kept my my commute from UCLA uh, to Echo Park pretty standard. I don't think I I varied from it very much, but. I'm really happy because I'm I'm recently learning like have learned like the enjoyment of cycling like doing it for fun and not being in a hurry, um, which I think has has sort of given me a greater appreciation for things like the Fourth Street Sharrows and that sort of thing because in reality if I'm trying to get somewhere fast Fourth Street is never going to be the best route for me because there's a lot of stop signs. There's streets where there are no stoplights, so it's going to take. It could take a long time to cross the road because you're you're waiting for traffic to break, and it's not always going to break at the same time on both sides going either direction. Um, but now that I'm not like in a rush commuting, it's like much nicer to like kind of cruise on some of those streets that they are putting sharrows on. Which sort of brings me to the next question: is like, how are they deciding what streets to put sharrows on? I, I don't know. That, that's a good that's a good question. So there's. I think there's four streets in yeah. Seattle, Dallas. So Fountain. Fountain, 4th, West Home, and... Something up in the va- in the valley area. Uh, uh, I can't remember the name of the street. Huh. But, I mean, yeah, how are they... How do they... P- yeah, I, I, how did 4th get in there? And then how come fourth, the 4th fourth Street shows are so bad? Well, so <laughs> I, I, I don't know about the... Um, or is it... Found, what, one of them is not... So what happened, I guess, and, and what, what, what Michelle was talking about on Thursday, the DOT representative, um, was that California, and she likes to certainly pack the buck to other people, but the California, the way that the um, kind of the engineering, it's a Caltrans or someone, whoever is dictating where they go, it, it is a measurement from the curb. So on streets, like I know it's on, on, on the West Home ones, West Home really kind of gets wider and narrow and becomes wider at some points and narrow at other points is that if you're only measuring distance from the curb some of them are going to be placed incorrectly in terms of the door because i think it was 12 feet they're putting the middle of the chair 12 feet from the curb and so if you have a street that's narrow that could be okay because it'll kind of you know there's maybe not parking or it'll kind of put it out more towards the center but i just it's so annoying they should measure it from the center line like you know that's the whole point is that and or have something or like maybe go out and pre-measure and before they actually paint them start to realize like this is gonna this arrow at, at the standard st- distance is going to be directly in the door zone it's putting the cyclist at at risk and you know i think so there's two parts here is that it's so it's creating a if you go by the standard treatment as determined by caltrans or whoever then you're reduced to the liability because there's some standards that oh we followed the standard but if the standard isn't correct, and the standard is engineering people to be unsafe, how? Why does that make any sense? It just, right. you know. 
So that's, yeah. I think, is that it's, it's measured from the curb, and when you have varying lane widths, it, they're just sometimes in the wrong place. And I think that that's just another kind of reflection on the fact that not only do, do bicycle advocates in Los Angeles and advocacy groups have to educate the general public, but they're also having to educate the people who are in charge of, like, creating and implementing these plans, which is really, really problematic, I think. And I don't, I don't, I don't know... I mean, it's 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 frustrating because I'm not sure how to more effectively get the job done. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, what what I think Los Angeles needs, or any city that's interested in kind of improving um, pedestrian and cycling cycling infrastructure, is is people in the de- Department of Transportation who understand those things. Well, it's it's not that just understanding. Like, I don't actually. I think that Michelle probably understands them, but she doesn't have, th- there's kind of a passion mm-hmm. in this thing for everything. Like you, t- you talk to Charlie Gandy in Long Beach and you know, that's the other thing is they're like, Oh, well we don't have staff at LADOT. Our staff's going down. And Charlie has like two people. I mean, he, they do not have a lot of staff in Long Beach, but he is so passionate and he's like, he figured, you know, he figures out how to get people on board. He figures out, he figures out how to go around people that are barriers. So their city engineer doesn't really agree. Well, he had to go to another engineer. He gets a different person to sign off on it, you know, and you know, and so the, there's a really passion. I mean, the same with Janet Sonicon in New York. I mean, she has the advantage that the mayor is also really on her side. Is biking in New York fantastic? Am I missing something? Well, it's their infrastructure that they're putting in is okay. starting to get really cool. They have a lot of protected bike lanes, um, and they're trying to shut down streets, and they're increasing pedestrian infrastructure, like shutting down Times Square. Evan, you're from New York, right? Yeah, well, New York is New York City is so many different places. Um, I mean, obviously, if you live on Central Park West, you've got some <laughs> fantastic cycling <laughs> right at your door. Uh, other places, not so much. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure you still can't ride a bicycle off of... Staten Island, right? The Verrazano yeah. doesn't have a uh, still doesn't have a bike lane, even though it was designed for one. And then they took it away because they were worried that people would commit suicide off the bridge. So sad. Um, but it, it, depending on where you are, it's great um, because they are actively putting in bike bike lanes and bike paths, and people drive slowly. Um, but it, it's a really contentious issue, and I think it's far more localized than it is here where people come together as like a little neighborhood or a community and they demand these rights or the or the orthodox Jews take away these rights <laughs> in, right. in some parts of South Williamsburg. Um, so I, I think Los Angeles does a better job at trying to approach this as like a citywide thing, as in this change needs to happen everywhere. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's just that they're, I guess maybe in New York is just, they're kind of viewed as like the up and coming because they're, okay. they're trying innovative things. They're, they're painting the lanes, you know, they're putting in protected bike lanes, which I think are really popular and they're really, they're really safe. They're really helping new riders. So maybe that's the thing is that they're, they're doing these things, which maybe they consider low hanging fruit, which is increasing the riders population and getting new riders on. And it's making everyone really excited. And that their politicians, the people in charge, are very visible to the bicycle community nationwide. You know, so that we don't have to keep looking just to Portland or looking at European examples. It's starting to be like, oh, there's there's examples in the United States and places that we can follow. 
So, after Sharrows, what I mean, what else is what else do we have to look forward to? Um, in Lost, like what's what's already happening? What's what's going to be happening in terms of like creating infrastructure? I know that there's a lot of things, kind of outside of uh, outside of uh, like the actual like marking of streets. I know that like Ciclovia is going to come in September. Ten uh, ten October. Oh October now. Yeah. Okay, 10-10. so ten ten we have Ciclovia, which I mean it's it's a great thing. I just. You know, if it it would be nice if it was going to happen, you know, it, it would it will be nice to see if it can happen more frequently than than once a year, once every six months. Um, I'm trying to think what other kind of things are happening. Um, we, I mean, I feel like we have a really good advocacy, a lot of different advocacy groups and and individuals who are really stepping up in Los Angeles. But um, what other kind of things structurally are going to be happening? Do you know? I mean, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't necessarily know offhand. I mean, there's there's some of these little things, and hopefully it's starting to get people excited, like like on, like, ideally the 4th Street becoming a bike boulevard. Um, they're doing a big um, walk and bike, uh, walking tour and a bike ride today along there. And what's cool about that project is that it's spanning a lot of different neighborhoods. So you're having different interests, you know, kind of get involved and in that they were able to kind of bridge the gap and go – a long distance, people with different interests. Um, so I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't want to be like a total downer. I, it's just hard. To, it's hard to say like what it is. And and my my concern is that the the contingent for cycling in Los Angeles isn't growing. You know, so we have we have a good group of people, and they're really passionate. And there's something you know, like the Ciclavia group, the you know. The, the different kitchens, the different co-ops, riders. Yeah, know, exactly. Like, yeah, the group rides. But I don't, I don't know if the the numbers of those are really growing enough, and we're not attracting new people. You know, that's so interesting. I hadn't. I guess I haven't really thought much about like whether or not there's new, I guess, new faces, um, kind of getting involved. And I think that, I mean, the things that are sort of on my radar. Um, which, as you know, I, as the people who are listening can tell, like I'm not super up on like what's happening in terms of infrastructure and that sort of thing here in Los Angeles. But the things that are sort of on my radar are more of like the the court cases of of hit and runs and um, or just like slamming on your brakes because you want to teach people a lesson. Um, like that's the stuff that's on my radar. And so like again, I feel like my kind of like understanding of a lot of this stuff is fairly negative um i i while i love riding in la and i'm really really pleased with like my own kind of like growth as a cyclist since i've been here um i don't know that it looks that good for us i think i mean as, as a cycling community and pedestrians too i mean it's i don't think i kind of look at them in the in the same light because i kind of do both things based on how far away something is but I don't know what can happen in LA realistically that will make it a better place for everyone to feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. Like I'm, I'm comfortable on the roads because I've forced myself to do it, you know, and now it's easy and it doesn't seem daunting. Um, but I don't know if we can make that like an easy transition for people, especially given that a lot of the rides that we're trying, you know, a lot of the people we're trying to, to, to attract are these, the the people who are going like less than five miles in a car and like that kind of trip mm -hmm. 
So, yeah, it's really attracting novice riders, and it's it's sadly, I mean, a kind of sad future. So, I th- like, <laughs> not not I don't want to say that it's sad, you know, but in ter- until we get some like cultural change, if anyone is listening <laughs> and has exciting suggestions again the phone number is 213-252-0998 and we were happy to take your call um especially if you had something positive to say but until then we're gonna talk about this are we just lacking an advocate like someone with enough clout we're we're lacking an advocate at the governmental level yeah i mean i think we have a lot of good advocates lower levels yeah it yeah it needs to be someone I mean, someone who understands cycling, who is also, like, I don't know, either an elected official or, I mean, but even, even our, I don't know. I don't even know if that would help, honestly. I mean, so that's interesting. So now, you know, Stephen Box just announced he's running for city council, mm-hmm. taking on LaBonge. Is that, you know, what's the potential? I think that could really hold some, some good potential there. What kind of authority, see, again. That's the thing. Is what kind of authority would that, well, I mean, it would be an advocate at a higher level, but what? What kind of authority does the city council have? Well, they, I mean, if, if a city council member was to really get involved and push for something, there's such a greater chance of getting something done. So I was talking to someone about, like, the Cuenca Pass and how dangerous that is. It's not well lit. And there's been so many, you know, trying to push LeBanche to get it. And that the fact that he doesn't really care, it's not really on his radar. If he was to say, you know, I, my community and... Um, is really pushing for this. He has the power to get things done. It's it, you know they have the power to, to bring issues up, to bring projects, um, but it's it what gets on their radar, what they become an advocate for, because they have to. They really do have to answer to their stakeholders and have to answer to the voters. So, how many people bike in Los Angeles? Do we have any numbers on that? That's really hard to tell. I mean, it'd be curious. I know that I've seen some some numbers on like people who do not drive actually let me look this up while we're talking and i can i can stop asking questions that i should figure out the answer to um but yeah so i mean answering to your stakeholders if everyone's uh driving a car yeah exactly so i mean if it's only a few but the other thing is getting other people involved like um so i i teach this class out in pacoima and we had uh LA Bicycle uh, Coalition and City of Lights come in. They were, we were really trying to get the message that these council people don't really hear from the younger generation, so they don't hear from high school students. So if they start to hear from, you know, younger kids about even just like about to school or them wanting to get involved, that that really means a lot to them. So that could, that could be a contingency. It's like oh, there's just because they don't they don't normally hear. You know, they just hear. It's kind of like the loudest voice in the room, and it's you know. The people in cars call all the time about their car issues, you know. So even if it's just really empowering the vice, the current advocacy people and people that are maybe just kind of on the periphery of it by getting them involved and just really, you know, keep asking for it and keep, you know, doing letters. And it, it, sounds, it sounds like a daunting task. It, it really does to have to have this kind of pressure put on, but if they get a lot of calls and they start to see that, like, that there is a community doing it, I, I think it could make a difference. And, and we have to start somewhere is the point. Like, you know, to see what happens. Yeah, I'm trying, in my mind I have, I saw this uh, kind of, like, 
city by city comparison that I can't find right now, but just comparing, you know, like how many people drive, how many people carpool, how many people take public transportation. I, I can't remember if cycling was on there, if cycling and, and walking were kind of grouped together. Well, yeah, so that's, like, census data. Uh And so in the census data, they always have, like... The hard part, though, is it's commute... It's only... They only, like, have you mark what your primary mode is when you're commuting. So... And we know that, like, you know, now about half the trips that people take aren't commuting. So that doesn't really get a sense of that. But, I mean, maybe we'll see... um, So, they're you know, they're obviously doing the new 2010 census. Hopefully we'll see those numbers... Sometime ne- I think we'll see those numbers sometime next year, and I think we'll see a growth in how many people are, are you know commuting to work um, by by bike. So that's one, but that's that's the other kind of concern I think within doing planning is that there's not enough data. So engineers, elected officials, everyone they like to know, they like to have solid numbers. Like, okay, we're going to do this. How many people is it affecting? You know, and there's not there's not a good a number. So, like, like in Minneapolis, they have this grade-separated bike path um, that's in, it's in an abandoned railway. So, it's kind of similar to the L.A. River bike path, as in that it's, you know, it's not competing with traffic. And they have, the entire time they built it, they, they built an automated counter so they could get a number. And maybe it's just even just doing, like, you know, trying to push for a number along the, uh, the river path. You know, I think that could be a good way to get some data. Does, does LA have any rails to trails? Does anyone know, or do we hmm. use all of our railroads too much? I have no or, idea. Uh, no, I mean that's something that's been great for a lot of communities, and I have no clue if it's feasible here. But it really allows you to, to build a great, great path. Yeah. So along um, in, in the valley where the metro where the metro link goes along uh, San Fernando Road. It's so ugly, and it's just this, like, dirt path, and all, I'm just totally, it's, I've been there, like, every day this month, and I'm just envisioning it. It'd be a great place for a rails-to-trails path, you know? So I don't know, I don't know about the status about if there's been any attempts to get them in Los Angeles. Here we go. I found <laughs> what I was talking about. But, yeah, it's based on census data, and they, they actually, they, they put together percentage who bike to work and work at home, Etc. is all one category, so that is not very useful for us. I mean, I think there was a number that within the Skag region, so that's like seven counties pretty much, um, that there was like a 12% non-motorized trip rate. Um, so I think that, that's the number that came out when they were, were talking about like the Measure R set-aside for bike and pet improvements. They're like, okay, well... You know, how much is it consumed? So there's a number from, yeah, from Skag. This is 12% of the trips. You know, but we're not receiving 12% of the funding. <laughs> well, and that's, I mean, yeah, I just, again, like, I don't want to be super negative about this, but I just, I'm not sh- sure. I'm not sh- I mean, I know in my mind what a better L.A. would look like, but I'm not sure any of those things are, are realistic. Um, and I'm not sure that that the way the infrastructure is now and kind of the direction it's going is going to encourage a lot of people to get on the road who aren't already on the road. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, maybe maybe we can take a break and, and come back and, and, and be more positive, but maybe we can just end on this, like, note of, like... Or, or we can sort of think about, like, what what realistically can be done 
to get people on bikes who aren't already on bikes? And how can, you know, how can we make that happen? Um, I wish I had a song to put on. Any suggestions? Bike songs? We're going to keep talking until I find a song, so... <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't, I, again, like I don't, I don't mean to be super negative, but I just, I'm unsure what kind of what the best actual solution will be. I mean, it's obviously, it's pretty obvious to me that it's a grassroots solution, like that we can't wait for you know, the top to come down and say, like, oh, we're going to do all this stuff. You know, we're going to, obviously, I think the bike plan is kind of an example of that a little bit. Um, but then, you know, like, like even small things, like, um, so, you know, like, I, I know there's some people that organize, like, um, like an all abilities ride. It was a really small ride they did in downtown last weekend to try to encourage people I think it was like a ladies only kind of thing to get more women on the road. So doing small things like that and expanding the network because, you know, I think like the big the big group rides are intimidating for a lot of people, even though they aren't necessarily fast rides. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to play a song that will hopefully calm me down and uh, make me feel really positive. It's 19th Century Bicycle and the artist is Velvet.
so that song was less 19th century than I had anticipated, um, and I apologize for that. Um, so now we're back, and we're going to talk about... Uh, we're going to try to keep it positive and talk about good things, and Evan is good at talking about good things and being positive, so... <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just... I just don't feel that bicycling is, is, is threatened. It's not, it's not like we're having to fight against people stripping away the ability to ride bikes in streets. We, don't be, we might not be making as much progress as, we, as we'd like, and, and we're certainly not, but this is not stopping the tide of people who start picking up bikes and start riding them, which has grown enormously in Los Angeles recently. And it's, I feel especially among kids who... 10 years ago would all want to be like riding like really dope cars and now they want to ride like really, really crazy really bicycles <laughs> and I think that's a good shift there and I think that while I, I can't imagine that all of them will continue to use bicycles as primary transportation that enough of them will or enough of them will supplement their other forms of transportation with a bicycle that we're only moving forward in terms of in terms of people's mindsets towards towards cycling in this city and if we could make it easier for them to do so, that would be great. But they're, they're still turning to it in, yeah. in numbers. And I actually think that's a really good point, kind of uh, tying back to what Maddie was saying earlier about, earlier about um, really, really creating a space for kind of the younger generation to know that, like, a lot of the advocacy work that's being done now won't necessarily affect the people who are advocating for it because it could be 20 years down the road, 25, 30, 40, 50, 60 years down the road. Um, and, but it's true. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of kids on bikes, and it's very cool. And one of actually my favorite things about the neighborhood that I live in is that any time of the day, I think, pretty much, I can expect to get on my bike and ride with someone who I don't know whatever direction I'm going. Um, and I've, I used, I think I, I've, I'm either getting older or I'm, I'm just getting less intimidated by people who are on bikes. Cause I don't think it ever would have occurred to me in the past to like talk to the people that I'm riding with. Um, I would have either like stayed behind them or passed them or, you know, like minimal contact. And now I'm always, in fact, the other day I met someone who does a radio show at Kill Radio. You know, we were just cruising along and chatting about how far we were going and and I think that that's really exciting and when when we are on our bikes if we talk to people about where they're going and what they're doing and how far they're going and whether or not it's commuter for fun and and it's it's really nice especially because we're all on different types of bikes and so you know it's it's not like just the fixed fixed gears or talking to fixed gears or road bikes or talking to road bikes it's like Everyone's kind of chatting, and it's a big. It is. It's like, it's it's like warm and fuzzy. Yeah, it definitely. I mean, that's that's the positive thing is that like each new cyclist or each each person that like I was riding on on Santa Monica Boulevard going east last night, and it was it, there was this guy next to me, and I was like, let's just take the lane. I mean, like the tra- it's, it was six o'clock on a Friday night, you know, and so it was so nice. It was like yeah, it was like a total friendship bond. And whenever I go to like bike advocacy things or where there's a lot of bike people, it is like a really warm fuzzy feeling thing. And hi guys, you know, hi. <laughs> and each you know one new cyclist or one new lane infrastructure it's it's progress you know you know like 
we're not going backwards. We're going forwards. You know, it's it's hard to not get down on that because we really have, I think everyone here and a lot of the advocates have really grandiose visions and know that it could be super great over time. But even at, you know, 40 miles a year, it's it's 40 miles new of, of new stuff that we're going to get and that, you know, that we are getting responded to. And there's a lot more people. I think it's I think it's cool. I think more people are thinking that it's cool to ride a bike and. It's like, oh, how'd you get there? Oh, I rode my bike. Oh, that's awesome. And kind of want to check it out and see. And it's it's kind of a new way of, of you know, being positive. And there's, I mean, obviously there's just so many benefits that we all know. And so there's more people. It's, we're more visible of a community um, in the advocacy and just on the roads. And and it's it's going to keep growing. Yeah. Which is also a good reminder to to people who are out there on the roads, like, Talk to the cyclists that you're you're biking with. You know, when you pass someone, say hello. Um, if you're not in a hurry, you know, catch up, chat, see how far they're going. I think that that's w- one of the things again that I've I've learned um, since biking in LA is that it, it's it's worthwhile to speak with the people who you're you're biking with and biking next to. Um, and that's really that's really a positive experience. Like I'm always really pleased when I get to like have a conversation with a fellow cyclist. And that is something that does not happen in your car, and it would never happen in your car. You might make eyes at someone, but you're never gonna like have a conversation with them. Um, and I mean, that's I was I was talking to another cook, um, and we were talking about there's the two things that we like the most about cycling is is one that you can talk to people um, who you would never talk to, you know, in a normal situation. Um, commuting or, or, or trying to get from point A to point B and two, the smells like when you're like biking by a bakery or a donut shop in the middle of the night or in the morning it smells so good or like the flowers as long as you're not behind a bus what's that what's that like a tomato sauce factory El Pato I don't know Somewhere. the tomato sauce factory tell it's me more it's like the most amazing <laughs> slash worst smell <laughs> Like sometimes it just smells like, like wow, I want to eat whatever it smells like this. And sometimes it's just like gross, like overwhelming industrial food smell. Anyway, but I think most of Los Angeles smells like two-stroke motor oil. So yeah, <laughs> I got to go buy more bakeries. <laughs> yeah, you really do. But yeah, I mean, especially like in nice, like as you're like maybe like taking like the um, you know lesser paths and the lesser streets in Beverly Hills, these beautiful landscaping. Some some yeah. neighborhoods like what like Charleville, like I'll be going out and like wow, this neighborhood smells amazing. So like, good. Yeah, so good. I mean, I what I like is that it's a different. Is that you? I notice so much more stuff that I would never notice if I'm on the bus or 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 in my car. You know, it's just like the slower pace really helps you like. So there's these really funny along along Santa Monica Boulevard. There's these nice things that they installed. It's actually a while ago. I kind of heard the story about it. So on the lamppost, it's kind of reminiscent about Route 66. So there's like different little trinkets, and then I noticed it's like there's an armadillo, there's Dorothy shoes, there's um, uh, a cactus. So kind of like trying to do the mention about different things along Route 66, but. So I noticed that one day. And then the other thing I noticed is that their 66 is above them, but they were installed backwards. <laughs> so it's just like little things or new stores um, you know, that I would just never, I, I would just never pay attention to if, if I wasn't going, you know, at like 12, 15 miles an hour, really. 
And even that, I, and that's a, just another thing is like that's one of the great things about like slowing down because e I hate to say it, but even when you're going really fast, you don't notice all of those things. And so I really I think that that's like um, like a good. It's so nice to slow down <laughs> to all my fellow like fast bikers who we're always trying to like rush to where we're going like slow down for a block yeah it smells it smells nice it's pretty you can see what you're passing um it's funny we were just uh the bike kitchen just had their annual retreat and uh we were up at malibu creek and we were biking up to this swimming hole uh which involved pushing our bikes some of the way because we were all on road bikes and it was definitely not a road bike path. Um, and we biked up there, I want to say maybe three or four times, and then, and then we decided there was some cooks without bikes, so we decided to walk. And even the difference between biking and walking, we saw so many things that we didn't see when we were on our bikes. So, I mean, that's another thing that it's kind of nice to, if you slow down, you can see stuff that you just normally aren't going to see and again it's only for certain types of, of bike rides it's not every time you get on a bike sometimes you have to get somewhere and that sort of thing but I don't know slowing down and maybe that makes it less intimidating if, if people don't think that like to get on a bike you need to go fast or you need to get somewhere quickly it's sometimes it's just like enjoyment nicer than having to find parking and faster usually yeah I mean that's funny so I've been my interning this summer, I've been working with like a bike ped consulting firm. We're doing a lot of like intersection kind of redesigns. And so as I'm biking through, I'm like, oh, wow, that like people that are the bike with me, they think I'm like the biggest dork ever. Like, do you guys see how nice that intersection was? Like, Maddie, seriously? Like, no, no, there's like pointing out stuff, but the angles. Yeah, I'm like, the wow, angles. Was, like, oh, it's just really like, you know, there's, there's these little things. And unfortunately, the thing is, I'm always like, I'm always in such a rush, I'm like, oh, I wish I had a picture. It's like, no, just stop like it's only gonna take two minutes to stop and take a picture or something cool but that's definitely things that you know we're, we're enjoying at a different pace and if you you know kind of get in the mindset that you don't have to totally book it you can stop and like literally smell the roses or whatever it is you know it's really cool there's just there's a lot of stuff that you're that you just get to notice differently yes bicycles do you guys think it's annoying to go grocery shopping with your bike? What what's what kind of advice can we do for like short trips? Hmm. Like groceries, dr dry cleaning. Oh, dry clean. Luckily, I can <laughs> I can walk to my dry cleaner. Uh, what are other kind of short trips? Um, because I used to take uh, I will often just take my backpacking backpack when I'm going grocery <laughs> shopping, but I can imagine that not everyone thinks that that's totally cool. <laughs> I mean, it's hard. It's, it's like you, know, you can't really do, like, you have to – I had to really change the way I was grocery shopping when I do it by bike because I would just – you just can't carry as much stuff. So I, I would – and it was nicer because then you kind of, like, you know, you just think about going more often and getting shorter trips. But, like, the other thing that I find annoying is, like, buying beer. Like – it's like, especially if you want like a twelve pack or something. You find buying beer. No, 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 no. It's hard. No, no, no. I find buying beer, <laughs> having to transporting yeah. beer on my bike is hard. Like, <laughs> but what I do, true. yeah. So like thinking about like little ways, like you know, getting a rack is always like the first yeah, thing. that's nice. Actually, Evan, we should like have a. We should be writing these things down. <laughs> At the kitchen, we should have like a, a workshop on like 
outfitting people's bikes with racks or like pannier things so that like we should do that because yeah. we have a bunch of racks lying around we do so we'll try to get that together because I think a rack would definitely helps things. Yeah, um, and oh, that yeah. would solve your beer problem. Exactly. Well, so it wasn't just the rack. So I had to do the rack, and then I fixed a milk crate on top of the rack. Yeah, that's that's yeah. yeah that, then it was problem solved. The beer transporting. <laughs> but it's still heavy. It's like, still heavy. Oh. <laughs> I had this friend that actually got this crazy chrome bag though that can fit two cases and a handle. It was insane. <laughs> it's the party bag. Yeah, it was totally the party bag. He was all about oh, it. It was man. awesome. <laughs> I need to meet this man. <laughs> bike bike messengers always talk about how big their bags are based on how many copy boxes you can fit in there. <laughs> um, like those, just like a regular box of papers, because that's what you transport a lot. And I love how regular people just talk about how much beer they can fit in their, <laughs> in their bags. It's like the two different measurements. Because, I mean, what the hell is a cubic centimeter? But two copy boxes, understandable to the messengers. <laughs> this many six packs, understandable to, to regular people. I don't know that I've ever tried to transport large amounts of beer on my bike. I think it's only been groceries that I've ever had a lot of trouble with. But it's true. And, I mean, the thing is, is that it is... I mean, maybe maybe a lot of this bike stuff is also going to kind of line up with another sort of trend that I, I think is coming out, which is, like, kind of the slow, like, more local, more fresh food... Um, because if, if you're if you're trying to get fresher food, then you're probably going to have to shop more often. Um, I don't know. It's it's nice that it's nice that cycling is is becoming more accepted. Although I think that the one thing I'm most excited about is one day not having to justify that I biked somewhere. Just like showing up on my bike, being a little sweaty, and no one's like, "Did you just ride here?" Yeah. Yeah, I can't wait for the day where no one wears suits anymore. <laughs> that would make biking a whole lot more awesome. Yeah, I mean, do you don't have to dress up for work, do you, Evan? No, not every day. Okay, yeah. but when you do, how do, how does that? I mean, do you have to take extra stuff with you uh, on your to commute? Take stuff, or sometimes I'm able to like stash <laughs> like clothes where I need them to be, so then I can ride there and then change. Or, I mean, I'll admit it, like, if, <laughs> if I have to go from, from like, go, go meet a client on the west side for lunch, and I have to wear a suit, like, I'm taking a car. Like, that's just, yeah. Do you think that that's, I mean, I think that that's the single most annoying thing for me about cycling, is when I do have to take two sets of clothes with me. Yeah. Um, and I think that when you're, you know, so I was at UCLA and it was really, they made it really easy because there's showers and lockers and, and you can stash clothes and all that. And it works out really well. Um, do either of you guys envision that kind of situation becoming more common so that it's easier? Because I think that, and I wouldn't say this with all situations, like Bobby in here was in here earlier and he commutes from, um, Eco Village to, to Long Beach every day for work, but do you think that that kind of thing is is something that can happen? And how would it happen? And would it just depend on the company that you work for? 
Yeah, I think it could. Um, I think the bike station in Long Beach is a good example of, you know. Will you tell us what that is? So the bike station, I think they were actually the first one in in the U.S. maybe. But so what it is, it's secure bike parking. And so they have part of it is just a secure bike parking. And then there's like another room that's 24-hour secure. So you pay a fee um, even if you just want like the regular that they have certain hours or you can have like a like a key access and you have access like to the space and then you like put in a code or something anyways to get your bike so there's secure bike parking but there's also showers and lockers um so it's it's facilities like that and i think they talked they, they called them in the in the in the la bike plan they called them mobility hubs um and they seem to be very far on the horizon but you know if we could think about uh, you know bringing a company, bringing a nonprofit to do those in Los Angeles. I think that's, I think that's a pretty viable way. It's not, there's not a lot of planning. They're really successful. Um, you can also have people can rent bikes there. So I think at the one in Long Beach, they're talking about there's some um, airline, com- there, yeah, there's some, there's some airliner that like all, like a lot of their employees are stationed or whatever in Long Beach. So they come and rent their bikes all the time. Um, and then it's establishing centers. I mean, in LA, we have the co-ops, which are great centers for bicycling, but then expanding that idea to these stations where you have secure lockup and showers. Yeah. I, I really think that, that that's kind of the next step if, so, I mean, there's, there's, we're talking about two different types of, of cycling trips. Like one is like kind of like short distance groceries, dry cleaning, errands, like bank, library, whatever. And then the other one is 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 commuting, um, and I think that that kind of educating and making those two different types of trips easier is really where it's at in terms of of making cycling something that's that's both sustainable but also realistic. Mm-hmm. Um, because yeah, I mean, I don't, I just, I just remember like yeah, the days where I have to. I mean, I I also I work on the west side two days a week, and I cannot bike. I would love to bike, but the idea of like having nice clothes, you know, suit pants and, and, and that kind of stuff in my messenger bag and a change of shoes. And then I have to get to work like at least a half hour early so I can cool off, stop sweating and then change all before I go into work is just too, is too daunting for me. So I end up taking the bus and I know with certainty that I could, that the round trip on the bus is about two and a half hours and I know with certainty it would be faster on a bike, but I just can't, I can't figure out logistically the, the way that I could do that. I've thought a little bit about asking friends who live in Santa Monica if they would mind if I like showed up in the morning and took a shower at their house. (laughs) But so far, like no one's, no one's said yes to that suggestion. Um, but yeah, I think I think you hit on it a little bit. I was thinking about doing trip chaining or like different modes throughout a round trip that you don't have to bike both directions. Um, so yeah, so you want to go to you know you want to show up at work and you know kind of be clean and not, especially if you don't have showers or take the extra time. So you, you just you know just put your bike on the bus and take the bus there. But in the afternoon where you can just put like shorts and. You know, like light shoes and your bag or whatever, so it's less of a commitment. At least you can kind of get that ride home, and, and you get a way to do that. You know, the, the thing about people that you know, you don't. There's options, you know, and that you can do it different ways at different times. That's true. I've done that once, but I should do that more often. <laughs> Man, my technique is uh, I just leave so early that it's not hot out yet. So like, <laughs> <laughs> I leave my house at about six a.m. 
So I can do, and like the like the sun's not even really in the sky at that point. <laughs> it's not hot out. So I can do 12 miles to work and, and not be that sweaty. And then on the way home, you know, it is hot outside <laughs> and I am sweaty, but then I get home and I take a shower. So, I mean, I, that's not a solution for everyone, but it's, it's, it's worked really well for me because I, I don't have a shower at work, but I'm going to work at a time where it's, it's doable. Do so. your co- how do your coworkers feel about Are you like the bike guy or are there other people who bike in or do they know that you bike in? It's a small office, but yeah, I'm definitely the, definitely the bike guy. But they, they almost don't see it because I'm, so I'm there so early. I'm in there before <laughs> everyone else. I just appear. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think what we're hitting on is kind of all like the little, you know, just just these little things that make it the the cheerfully make it inconvenient to use your bike you know, to to really live a car free life or you know, to use your bike for everything, but to to start to pinpoint that there's solutions. So when we talked about you know errand trips, that if you outfit your bike with you know, with a nice rack, some panniers. Um, you want to go as far as extra cycle for people that are real serious about it, um, which for those that don't know is kind of like it's a part where you can retrofit so that you can really kind of turn your bike into a cargo bike. You guys, someone wanted to, is that a good description or more of an extra cycle? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so there's options for that. You know, there's different ways you can think about asking people to use their shower or whatever. So different ways to kind of get around being sweaty. <laughs> you know, of the, the, you know, you can go by different modes. But these are, I think, you know, weather. These are a lot of concerns that I think obstacles, real and perceived, that people have to why they don't bike more places. Yeah, and as a as a fairly sweaty person, I have to say, like, realizing that you don't have to pedal as fast as you can to get somewhere really really helps um because i i (laughs) i have a couple friends who didn't know that i was biking places and i'd always just show up really sweaty and they would use nice words like how come molly looks so athletic every time she shows up somewhere you know when really they're just saying like why is she so goddamn sweaty and um i have learned again the weather does play a, a big a big role in this but like when it's cool enough outside and if i just like put it on like a fairly easy gear ratio and just pedal slowly um still moving and still not i mean when i say slowly i'm not saying like seven miles an hour i'm saying like slowly like maybe 12 maybe 10 miles an hour like not trying to get somewhere really fast then i can show up and not be really really sweaty so that is i think um it's like a realistic concern that i've sort of accepted and gotten over but i understand that for some people it's like you know, they don't want to show up somewhere and be really sweaty and look like they just ran a marathon. They just want to, you know, look like they're, you know, maybe a little, like, flush and, like... The bicyclist glow. Yeah, the, the I, I like to always glow. give the impression that I have just finished a marathon, <laughs> but I'm somehow not sweaty. Like, I try to project that. I don't know if I'm successful, um, even, even when I walk someplace. Uh, so you're in a really good mood and really positive, but you're not really sweaty. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Guys, you don't even know what I just had to go through to get here. <laughs> I had to run 26 miles. Um, uh. But, yeah, so, I mean, I think that that's uh, – I think I, – and, again, I don't, I don't know how this kind of ties into the gender, um, the huge gender thing. And, I, and I'm actually very interested in, in learning more about why there are so f- – why there are so m- many fewer – so why there are fewer women on bicycles um 
Because it just, I mean, it seems, I mean, I, I have a hard time, like, believing that it's completely attributed to things like safety and sweating and changing clothes and that sort of thing. And so I'd be interested to see, like, if we're, if we're missing something, if there's some other reason why there is such a huge disparity between, like, male and female cyclists. Yeah, I don't know what, what those other, I mean, those are kind of the main reasons I would think of, you know, that it, they don't, and I think women are going to generally, even, even kind of in pedestrian counts, women are going to be walking mm-hmm. less by themselves. Um, so maybe it's kind of a solo thing and it, or feel, fear of crime or, you know, safety, not just by getting hit by a car, but being out riding by yourself. Um, so maybe it's kind of establishing a, a female buddy bike system, you know, or um, to try to kind of, because that's, that's the thing is it's breaking, uh, to me, what my total guess would be is that it's breaking this kind of first time barrier of, of, you know, that they just get so scared they don't want to do it and they don't want to try. And so I always know that when you go out with people, you got people that are experienced and you start to see, okay, this, you know, this is how I do it. This is how you can be safe about doing it. They can really help people. And once, and once they have those first couple with someone else, I think they'd be more apt to do it by themselves. Um, yeah. Good show, you guys. Any last words? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw on some music um, and sort of wrap up because uh, I have to actually get to the bicycle kitchen um, and help people fix their bikes. Um, but uh, again, if any of the listeners have questions um, or comments or thoughts, uh, definitely let us know. Um, bike Talk. Let's see. Shoot, I don't even know the email address. It's Live Bike Talk. At yeah, Live Bike Talk at Gmail dot com. Um, just keep us posted on your thoughts. And with that, I am presenting to you the Blue Scholars, uh, which is a hip hop group out of Seattle. There he is, snapping finger like this, like this, like that. Now listen here, before I disappear, if apocalypse is near, never fear. Laku laku with the spear, girl, I got you with the beer. So cheers to my folks, so my chariot is here. Gotta go, gotta go, got a whole lot of poems in my scroll to mama bus. I turn them into gold like nanny with the gloves or Midas with the touch. I told them not to fuss, got my mind on my money, but the money's not. With a pile of debt not riding yet, but I bet you'll see that soon. that soon. Bullshit we do for the change in a bucket too. It's nothing new, but a change gon' come, and it ain't no fun. No butter, no guns, nobody to run to with a check one, two. I hope this goddamn check come through. Come on. New people coming through, you better move when we come. Watch, cause here we come. Before 
I disappear in the air. It's truly been a pleasure doing music for my peers. Let me make the signal clear. We living on a prayer. So take my hand and we'll make it. I swear, I swear that it's getting hotter outside. Cause it's all about time. Like slaughterhouse fire around the globe. Mr. International capture souls at his shows and it shows. They taking off their clothes. Ha ha ha. Everybody say yes, we can. In a time that you can't do much. I guess that's just what it is when a bank in a market bite the dust. Plus, can't fall back on a man with a suit with a plan all by himself. Gotta have help. Gotta act stuff. Get a skill called learn how to tighten your belt. Huh. I let my take rock. My take rock. I let my take rock to my take pop. I let my take rock. My take rock. I let my take rock to my take to Here we go.